Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insight Call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I am pleased to present Gavin Ralston and Keith Wade. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you very much and welcome from me. This is Gavin Ralston. Uh, delighted to have with us today Keith Wade, our Chief Economist. Keith, I think the last time you appeared on this call, uh, you were on the other side of the table asking the questions rather than providing the answers. So today, the tables are very definitely turned. Uh, before we go on to the conversation with Keith, just in terms of the economic story in the last week or so, it continues to be one of strength in the US and weaker growth elsewhere. However, much of this uh, dichotomy had already been factored into expectations. And if you look at the economic surprise index uh, for Europe, it's been moving steadily up since the beginning of the year, while until recently, the equivalent in the US has moved down. But the key data released last week was undoubtedly the, the first quarter GDP number, which came out on Friday, much stronger than the markets expected. Although there is a question which we'll explore with you as to how much of this was just inventory building in anticipation of a trade dispute with China. Uh, the other factor in that release was a very soft inflation number. The core um, personal consumption indicator was only up 1.5%. At the corporate level uh, in the US, uh, earnings releases have been mixed. Uh, we saw good results from Amazon and Microsoft, but uh, Alphabet, Intel, American Airlines, and 3M, all big companies, failed to meet market expectations. But in the rest of the world, data has been pretty weak. There was an EFO release in Germany uh, in that category. And we've seen more and more central banks uh, following the Fed and adopting a more dovish tone. Last week, it was the turn of the Bank of Japan and the Bank of Canada. So the market response to, to this additional liquidity has been a continuing upwards move in risk assets. Equity markets have been positive again in April. The US is up about 4%. Some of the European markets with very open economies like Germany and Sweden are up 7%. The US has now passed its peak level of September 2018. And if you measure it since the low point in late December, in fact, on Christmas Eve, the S&P 500 is now up 25%. Chinese stocks, which have also been a big mover in the first quarter, uh, have moved the other way. However, they dropped 5% last week and are now only flat over the month of April. The other feature, which we'll come back to with Keith, is the strength of the dollar, uh, which moved up again last week. It's now at a two-year high on a trade-weighted basis, and we know that this is not great news for emerging economies in particular. In fact, emerging markets' currencies have now lost all their year-to-date gains, with the exception, which again we'll come back to, of the Chinese currency. So, so Keith, has any of the recent data we've been talking about done anything to change the Fed's more dovish perspective? Uh, thanks, Gavin. Um, I, I don't think it will have changed it a great deal. Uh, as you say, the first quarter GDP was stronger than expected at 3.2, which is a pretty good outturn, given that very often the first quarter in the U.S. is the weakest quarter of the year. They have all kinds of seasonal adjustment issues. So that was a strong number. It's certainly stronger than than we expected, and it was something Donald Trump was very quick to herald on his Twitter, Twitter feed. Um, but when you look at the breakdown, actually, it's not quite as good as it looks. There was quite a big inventory contribution, which I think was related to the trade tensions, companies uh, building up inventory uh, ahead of um, you know what they could see as a potential trade war with more increases in tariffs, very much as the 
uh, UK companies are doing at the moment with the concerns over Brexit. So, so that was a sort of temporary boost. There was also a, a surprising boost from net trade itself, which was quite hard to explain, um, and looks like that's probably going to fade away. So you strip away those factors. Underlying growth of, of demand was still only just over one percent or so, so not not particularly strong. But you know, nonetheless, it was it was a bit better. Um, and the low inflation, of course, is the thing that's really, I think, uh, had quite a big impact on the mm -hmm. Fed. Um, you know, not just from from last week's figure, but you know, since they made their more dovish pivot, a lot of that was around inflation. The fact that inflation is very much contained. Uh, and within its target means that in many ways the Fed doesn't have to take the risk of, say, raising rates and over-tightening. It can sit back a bit, and as they say, they can be patient. And, and why is inflation not picking up in the U.S.? Well, it's a good question, because late cycle, you would normally expect inflation to be rising. And certainly, again, this was a, a, a bit of a surprise in our forecast. We thought core inflation would have been moving well above 2% at this stage. Uh, that's what our models were telling us. But since, um, I'd say, Q4 last year, inflation has really been very subdued indeed. And this is something that's been picked up by, by other indicators. I know that there's a a project that looks at internet prices around the world. It's not just in the US, but all, all around the world, you've seen a bit of a leveling out of, of prices. Uh, that's the Billion Prices project, which is picking up the same kind of thing. So I think some of the structural effects that we've talked about, the competition from the internet retailers, for example, has remained very, very intense, and that's continuing to, to weigh down on prices. So, so that's certainly is, part of the story. And th this would all be part of the structural case that you've made in the Inescapable Truths presentation. Yes, about that's right. That across the whole cycle, inflation is likely to be weaker yes. in the future. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's those kind of pressures, the, the effect of technology in particular mm -hmm. on, on, on prices that have been very important. So you have got that sort of structural overlay. I should actually add, though, a couple of other things. I mean, the U.S. dollar being strong, as you mentioned earlier, that's weighing on import prices. Um, and, of course, the other factor is that medical prices have been relatively subdued in the U.S., which I think is, is reflecting you know, the tightness of government expenditure. So that's keeping a, a lid on those prices as well. But, um, you know, it's an issue for the Fed because with inflation this low, it means that they're concerned that now if the economy begins to slow and inflation falls, they're going to find themselves below their inflation target. So there is a debate going on. It's very active amongst economists and, of course, with the Fed as to whether or not they should change their inflation targets and say, well, we should, we should only aim for inflation to average 2% over the cycle, which would mean that at this later stage of the cycle, you'd let inflation run a little bit hot and it'll be a little bit higher so it's going to come down later on. So those are the kind of issues that it's bringing up again. But I think it just reinforces the view that the Fed has done with tightening for now. And the other factor which has influenced the Fed in the past has been the, the strength or weakness of the stock market. Mm. The cynic might say that the pivot, as you called it in January, reflected the fact the stock market had been so weak at the end of 2018. Now that it's recovered 25%, is that, has that any influence on their deliberations? Well, I mean, it's certainly noticeable that Donald Trump has been a little bit quieter now since the stock market has rallied, and that would take a bit of pressure off the Fed, um, although they are, of course, independent. I'm sure, you know, it does create pressure on them when Trump makes comments about them. I mean, I think the thing is, of course, um, we have to remember that the equity market is really just getting back to where it was. It has just gone above now the level it was in September before the big fallback. 
And the way that most economists and the Fed will look at it will be in terms of the sort of the longer run moving average, because um, the effect that they will be thinking about will be the sort of impact on the real economy. And certainly people in the real economy, although, you know, they're, they're obviously tracking what the market's doing, but they tend to look at their portfolio sort of every six months, every year or so. And that tends to be the way that the wealth effects work in the economy. So, you know, they'll be looking at their portfolio and thinking, well, it hasn't really done very much, you know, because it's sort of gone down and has come back up again. So, so it wouldn't really be having a big impact on, say, the consumer at this stage. Certainly, I think it probably helps consumer confidence a bit at the margin probably adds a little bit because it suggests that expectations for the economy are a little bit better. But I don't I don't think it'll be having a big impact. I think you've got to see the market move on quite a lot more from here before it really becomes a factor. And we'll no doubt learn more from the uh, statement following the FOMC meeting later this week. But yeah. if I put you on the spot and ask you to bet on whether the next move in the Fed funds rate will be up or down, which would you go for? Well, I, I would say down. Um, and actually that that is a view based on our forecast. I mean, we think that growth in the U.S. is gradually going to cool. And in 2020, we think the scope for some rate cuts. And that's really reflecting, <coughs> excuse me, um, the fading of the fiscal policy stimulus. Uh, you know, that's had a big impact on growth. Uh, it added nearly a percent to growth last year. And that's gradually going to be fading. So that will mean that growth will slow down. Uh, we also believe that the tightening of policy that's been put in place and the rise in the dollar, you know, those are things that are gradually going to slow down activity. So we think that by uh, 2020, there'll actually be some scope for some rate cuts. But uh, it's a very interesting question because, of course, in the in the dots that the Fed publishes, they won't be publishing them, them tomorrow, but they, they, when they publish them every quarter, they've actually got another rate rise in 2020. So mm -hmm. they are somewhat different from our view and from the market view. Let's move on to Europe, where, as I said, the data generally is still weak, but the experience of the last few months is expectations have um, moved up a little. Is this as good as it gets in Europe? Well, I would say, actually, the data is looking a bit firmer, actually. And we, we just had the Q1 GDP for the Eurozone came in at 0.4, which is pretty good for for the Eurozone, so up from a revised 0.1 uh, in, in Q4 last year. So uh, 0.4, I should say, for Q1 this year. So that's a good a good turnout with economies like Spain growing at 0.7 Q on Q. So the data there, I think, has, has gradually been improving. We can see it also in the, in the monthly data gradually turning around. I, I think, actually, there is scope for it to improve a bit more from here because there were all these one-off factors that weighed on activity that are now fading. I think monetary policy is still very loose and very supportive. Credit growth is still quite good. So, you know, it's an important part of our forecast that the Eurozone actually continues to grow and recovers a bit more. And I think it's taken a while for the markets to really appreciate that um, coming through. And I think maybe there will be a little bit more of a, of a revision in expectations for the Eurozone in coming months. You, you mentioned Spain, and we obviously have the Spanish election on Sunday, which uh, led to an increase in seats held by the incumbent Socialist Party, the centre-left party. There's also been signs in a number of smaller European countries that populist parties haven't been doing as well in the last few months. Do you think we're, we're at or past the peak in populism in Europe? Um, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I, my sense is, and this is something that, again, we, we featured in the Inescapable Truths, that the roots of populism are quite deep 
and you know they they do lie very much in the discontent that people have with the performance of the economy and the way that the growth that we've seen has been so un, unevenly distributed. Um, and I think that's still a factor. Um, the you know the Gilets Jaunes protests in France suggest that there's still you know quite a lot of uh, populist discontent. You know Germany as well is facing you know the the, the impact there. So I, I still feel that we're probably going to see more from the populists. And of course we've got the European elections coming up, where the populists are expected to do quite well. And generally. You know, talking to people who follow this very closely, they think that we're a very good showing for the populace. So, so yeah, um, I take your point, but I think actually we're probably still going to see more from that. And I think, that, you know, this is probably going to be a long-term story. Let's talk a bit about the dollar, which has been pretty mm -hmm. strong. Uh, I mean, a strong dollar has got the potential to destabilize markets, in particular emerging markets. Are, are we getting close to that point? Is it something you worry about? Well, it is. And I mean, in many ways, it, it, this was one of the surprises for this year because, you know, we, we really felt that maybe the dollar had peaked after the strength that we'd had. It is putting some pressure on emerging markets, although it's sort of coming through slightly differently. Um, the, the countries that seem to be feeling the most pressure are, um, are the more peripheral ones like Argentina and Turkey. Um, so, and, and there are good reasons why you know, those economies have felt that pressure given the inflation rates in those economies, um, you know, and their current account positions and so on. If we do see the dollar continue to strengthen, I think that is going to continue to hold back the recovery in emerging market assets. Um, I think this, this again comes back, I think, to the question that you asked about, you know, where will the Fed be going next? If our view is right, then I, I would expect the dollar to to peak and then begin to come down, um, but but yeah, so far it is showing quite a lot of resilience. And of course, you know, money is being sucked into the U.S. by the strength of the equity market and the Nasdaq, and it's a little bit like the late 1990s when you know technology was the only game in town, and in order to get exposure to that, you have to go into the U.S. So we can see a little bit of that going on. At the moment. But that becomes self-correcting because a strong dollar is bad news for U.S. corporate profits. Ultimately, yes, it is, uh, and it will, will weigh on the profits outlook, and we will, we will see profits revised down. And I mean, we are already concerned about the profits outlook, I should say. I mean, this has been one of our themes, that because of the late cycle and the pressure that we do see in wages, which is gradually coming through, and we've got the payroll report on Friday, and we'll be watching the average hourly earnings numbers very closely. But, you know, if you have low inflation and wages rising, ultimately, you will get a squeeze on margins. Um, that's something I don't think the market is really priced for. The one emerging currency which uh, has not weakened against the dollar, in fact, it's, it's up a few percentage points in the first quarter, mm. is the Chinese RMB. Mm. It's around about 6.75 today. Uh, does that tell us that the stimulus program that we've talked about a lot over the last few months is working? Yeah, I mean, it's this is a little bit of a puzzle in some ways um, because you know, the emerging market currencies have generally been weaker with the strength of the dollar, but the RMB has, has held up pretty well. Um, it may well reflect some of the signs of improvement in the economy uh, that are coming through. So that's that's been helpful. But I think uh, it's still been a surprise. And the suspicion is that China is trying to keep the renminbi pretty firm um, because it provides a more favorable backdrop for the trade negotiations with the U.S. Um, 
And certainly one of the uh, goals of the U.S. administration has been for China to agree to have a more stable currency and not to use the RMB as a tool uh, to, to help to improve its, its trade position. So, you know, I think, I think there may be an element of that. But, you know, how they're actually doing that, we're not entirely clear because the FX reserves... Don't see it in we, we just We don't really know. I mean, the FX reserves... Um, have, have been actually picking up a little bit recently. So um, what they could be doing uh, is using the, um, their influence over the state-owned enterprises and the banks uh, who, who may hold a lot of dollars and just sort of leaning on them to say, well, you know, this would be a good time to convert your dollars into RMB, you know, and sort of get some capital inflows through that route. Uh, so they may be able to, to, to manipulate the currency that way. They have, of course, got very strong capital controls that they've put in place. So I think there's a mixture of those things. But let's let's wait and see how the trade negotiations go. If, if they suddenly start looking bad, then maybe the RMB might start to join the other emerging market currencies and be a bit weaker. And if we just spend a moment looking at a little further, uh, you analyze, analyze the future in terms of different risk scenarios. Mm. Uh, which are the scenarios looking at, say, to 2020, which cause you the most concern? Yeah, so um, I kind of hinted a bit at this. Uh, um, one of our scenarios is U.S. recession 2020. Uh, you know, that, that does seem to be a concern to me because, you know, when you do take away the stimulus, the underlying growth rate in the economy doesn't look so good. And, you know, we, we often talk about the, what we call the wobbly bike world economy, where, you know, the trend rate of growth has come down and actually it doesn't take very much to knock it off course. The thing that we are focused on uh, at the moment is we're actually at the, in the process of just beginning to revise our forecast. One of the things that's changed quite a lot since we last did our forecast is the oil price has risen quite substantially now, up around um, $74 a barrel. And that was 50 in December? Yeah, uh, yes. Well, actually, even in uh, early February when we were doing it, it was in 50-something. Mm -hmm. so, so clearly that's, that's changed quite a bit, and that's going to be pushing up um, headline inflation and will be squeezing real incomes. So we'll be watching that as well, because that kind of takes the world in a slightly more stagflationary direction, which is obviously... Uh, uh, not so good. So, so a new scenario that we'll probably bring in will be oil going back to a hundred dollars. That would be 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 a worry for us. Which, in combination with a weaker U.S. economy, would be very bad news for most markets. It, it, it could be, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of thing we're worried about. Okay, we are almost out of time for this week. Uh, let me just pick up a couple of points that Keith has made. The first is not to be too carried away with the strength of the. U.S. Uh, GDP numbers that were announced last week. Uh, Keith's view, I think, is that the, the Fed has been pretty much spot on in terms of its changes to policy since uh, January of this year and remains quite concerned about the, the sustainability of growth as we move into 2020. Uh, Europe, by contrast, is doing a little better. The numbers there seem to be a bit more uh, robust than we expected uh, or markets expected before the start of this year. Uh, one of the things that we're also concerned about is the uh, strength of the dollar, mm. uh, which has become a, a more important factor in markets in recent weeks, um, reflecting the perception, at least, of the divergence between the U.S. and the rest of the world. So that's it for this week. Uh, thank you very much again, Keith, for sharing thoughts on such a thank wide you. range of issues. And thank you all very much for listening.